why would this cream company be called Samson's Hair Cure? Samson, a figure of the Bible. There's a luggage suitcase company called Samsonite. Why would they name it after Samson specifically? Who was Samson? Tearing down a building, Samson. There are monuments around the world. There are barbershops named Samson's Barbershop. Why Samson? There's a commando unit in the Israeli army called the Foxes of Samson. Who was Samson? When did he live? And what's his story? How is it relevant to us? These are some of the things we'll talk about today. Welcome to Lunch and Learn number 173. It's Tuesday, time to study Torah together. And today's topic is a man named Samson. Shimshon in Hebrew. We'll call him Shimshon in the original Hebrew. Shimshon, Samson has very much impacted our culture till today. If you have a Samsonite suitcase or Samson's hair care products or many other areas in our life impacted by this man, Samson will explore his life briefly today. Let's begin with a blessing over a cup of water. Great to be back to study Torah together. Every Tuesday we take 60 minutes or so to explore another topic from a Jewish perspective, whether it is halacha, Jewish law, Jewish history, Jewish mysticism. And today we're focusing on the history, the story, the biography of this man named Shimshon, and the stories, the great stories that were told about him, and of course the lessons that we can take from this remarkable individual's life as it is told to us. As usual, we have a source sheet on this post. There is a link. You can check out your email inbox if you're on our email list. And we're going to jump right in. Hello, Jack. Hello, Amy. Hello, Roy and Jody. Hello, Mark. Hello, everybody watching. You can take a moment to share this post. Others can join in live as well. And... This is actually really interesting lesson today. To show you one more picture that I found, some monument, I believe it's in Poland somewhere. Apparently this is supposed to be um, a lion being ripped apart, perhaps by some man named Samson. I don't think he looked exactly like that. We will learn, uh, see the Jewish view on this man named Samson. We'll call him Shimshon. So let's jump right in. Today's lesson is divided into four sections and um, I haven't watched the movie. I, be I believe there's a movie, Samson and Delilah. We'll talk about the Torah's uh, narrative of the story and the true story of Shimshon takes us back just under 3,000 years ago, about 950 BCE, before the Common Era, in the land of Israel. The Jewish people are about a few hundred years 
after settling the land of Israel after being 40 years in the desert and prior to that in Egypt, the slaves for 210 years, they're now in the land of Israel, but there is no central um, authority, there is no king yet. Later came the kings, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, and the future kings. Uh, at this point, there are judges. It is known in Jewish history as the era of the judges. It was at least 13 judges that the book records, and Shimshon is one of them, but he gets the most attention in the book called Judges. After the five books of Moses, we have the book of Joshua, who we discussed at a previous lesson, and the next book is the book of Judges, which talks about this 350-year period from the settling of the land of Israel until... Uh, pretty much the appointment of um, King Saul uh, through the prophet Samuel. So here is where Shimshon's um, story takes place. During this period, the Jewish people are settled in the land, but they are oppressed by the Philistine nation. So here it goes. Source number one on our source sheet. There was one man... Manoach, his name was Manoach, from the tribe of Dun, and his wife was barren. A little more description about this man, says the Midrash, a pious man, famous for his good deeds, despite being from Dun, who were inclined towards idolatry. During this period of the judges, the Jewish people tended to forget a bit about their past and the great miracles that God uh, brought upon them. And many began to learn from their non-Jewish neighbors who are steeped in idolatry. Uh, perhaps they have not succeeded in driving out all of the idolatrous uh, nations that were, some of them still inhabited the land of Israel and they mingled with them specifically the tribe of Dan. At that point, the Jewish people were still somewhat separated according to the tribes, according to the tribes descending from the 12 sons of Jacob. Each had their own territory. Some of them tended to marry in within their tribe. And Manoach, this individual Manoach, hello, Howie, was a member of the tribe of Dan. And the wording of the prophet, the wording of the book, the book of Judges is written later by King, by Samuel, Shemuel Hanavi, a uh, later prophet, and he's, his wording is very precise. There was one man, the term one man um, alludes to him being one man different than others. He was exceptional, although his family or neighbors, tribe members may have been serving idols at the time and forgetting a bit about the, the ways of Hashem, ways of God, he was one man. He was exceptional. His deeds were good. He was famous for his good deeds. He was pious. And he was one. He was strong and um, stood ground, stood his ground despite the influence of his own tribe around him. So he was a unique individual and his wife was barren. His wife was, they were childless. The uh, Midrash, the Talmud tells us her name was Tzalalphonis, or Hatzalalphonis. And she was from the tribe of Judah, from Yehuda. But they were married, and they were not blessed yet with children. 
At this time, the Jewish people are oppressed by the Philistines. The Philistines were a nation who lived on the coast of the Mediterranean, the west coast of the Mediterranean Sea, or the west coast of Israel on the Mediterranean Sea, uh, where today is Aza or Gaza and the cities of Ashkelon and perhaps Ashdod over there, that area, this more the southern west part of Israel. And today, and at that time, the Philistines were occupying the land of Israel where the Jews were living. They were not free and they were being harassed, terrorized by the Philistines at times who would pillage and oppress the Jewish people. And they were in need of a savior to calm things down. One day, Tzalalphonis, the wife of Manoach, is in the field, and suddenly a angel in the form of a holy-looking man appears to her. Source number two, he tells the woman, Behold now, you are barren. You shall conceive and bear a son. Beware now, and do not drink wine, and do not eat any unclean thing. A reference to grapes or any byproduct of grapes, anything to do with grapes or wine, you shall not eat during the nine months of pregnancy. A razor shall not come upon his head, for a Nazarite to God shall the lad be from the womb, and he will begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Wow. That's amazing. She's out there in the field and she has this vision. She recognizes this must be a man of God. She doesn't yet realize it's an actual angel. But he tells her a whole load of stuff. He says, well, you're going to be blessed. You're the one that's barren. It's not your husband's problem. You're barren. But you will conceive. You will be blessed with a son. But this is going to be a real special son. He's going to be a Nazarite. In Hebrew, a Nazir. Nazir, the Torah talks about in the Parsha of Nasso, the second portion of the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers. And actually, this part of the story is the Haftorah of that Parsha. Um, a Nazir is somebody who takes upon himself a vow to refrain from certain activities, usually for a period of 30 days, as an act of additional holiness. He will refrain from wine or any grapes and byproducts of grapes or wine um, for the sake of God. He's going to deprive himself of these pleasures. That's one idea of, of the Nazarite. A second is not to cut the hair. Let the hair grow long without cutting the hair. I guess it's an idea of not tending to the beauty of the body, perhaps. Another thing which generally is applied to a Nazir is not to come in contact with the dead. But that is usually an individual who takes that upon themselves willingly for a period of 30 days. But here, Shimshon, this boy that's going to be born, has very specific, unique instructions from the angel saying, from the womb, he's going to be a Nazirite for all of his days. And the angel focuses only on two of the laws, not to drink wine or any byproduct of wine, consider it an unclean thing 
thing for the Nazarite, as well as not cutting his hair. And here, the mother, Hatzelelphonis, is in, instructed by the angel that she too should refrain during the nine months of pregnancy of gestation not to herself drink any wine or grapes and the like. Which just tells us about the great impact and influence the mother's behavior has on the unborn child, on the fetus. So at least for those nine months, she should behave however the child is supposed to behave once he's born. After that, after she gives birth, she can uh, enjoy wine if she would like. And that is an interesting Jewish tradition. During the nine months, a woman, a mother, an expectant mother will be extra careful uh, what she sees, what she does, uh, staying away from unclean things, being extra careful in what she eats and the places she goes because that we only want that she should have a positive influence on the fetus. And the angel informs her that this lad is going to begin to save the Jewish people from the hands of the Philistines. Note that he says he will begin to save. The Jewish people were still going to be under the occupation of the Philistines, but he will somewhat subdue them, make it more bearable, lighten the burden of the Philistines over the Jews, and tone things down, making it more peaceful, at least, for the Jewish people. She's very excited. She runs to her husband, Manoach. They're already older in age. And she tells him about it. Well, he's a bit skeptical. And he's not sure. Maybe she missed out some details from the angel that was important for them to know. So he prays to God and that the angel reappear. Or didn't know it was an angel that the prophet, the holy man, reappear. And indeed he does and he confirms everything that he told his wife. Source number three. The Midrash gives us a bit of more insight what was going on between Manoach and his wife. He said, you're barren. Before this appearance of the angel, they had debates. They were arguing. He would say, you're barren and therefore won't conceive. It's your fault. We're not blessed with children. And she said, you're barren. Therefore, I can't conceive. It's your problem. Is it male infertility or female infertility? So they were arguing. And I guess at that time, they did not really have ways to confirm either side. So an angel came to make peace between her and her husband. The angel said to him, Everything I said to the woman to make her more beloved in his eyes. Part of this couple, I guess, being chosen, the Midrash tells us there was an added benefit that this would bring peace. Not just to the Jewish people, for Samson, this boy, would save or begin to save the Jewish people from the hands of the Philistines, but to this couple themselves, they had a lack of harmony in their marriage, blaming each other for not having children. So the angel appears to the woman, because in this case, it was actually the woman who was barren, and said, listen, you are barren, and that's why he only appeared himself to her, not to make her feel bad or inadequate in the eyes of her husband. And then when he did reappear at the request of the husband, Manoach, he says, whatever I told her 
is true and confirmed, trying to sort of make her more beloved in his eyes that the instructions I gave her, what she reported, was actually true. So it's interesting that the Midrash gives us that background. So Manoach is uh, very excited to see this holy man once again, for him the first time, and uh, uh, he offers him to come into the house, they should have dinner together, and thank God, and the angel says, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to eat, and says, if you want, you can, make an, you, make, you can make a sacrifice and bring something up to God on the altar that you'll build here on the stone, and that will be great. At that point, he does so. He prepares uh, the, the goat. Source number four, Manoach took the kid goat and the meal offering and offered it up upon the rock to the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. That refers to suddenly there was a fire that appeared within the altar that the angel uh, arranged. And when the flame went up from upon the altar toward heaven, the angel ascended in the flame. Noach and his wife looked on and they fell on their faces. At this point, they realized that this is no ordinary man or man, that even a man of God. But this was an angel in the form of man and sort of ascended back to heaven after completing his mission of, um, of um, instructing them about the upcoming birth of their son. And at first, uh, they're, he's quite startled. Uh, maybe they're going to die because they saw the angel of God. But his wife reassures him that God wouldn't uh, send the angel to appear to us if we're going to die. Obviously, we're going to have a son, and a very special son, and we are to follow the instructions of the angel. Sure enough, source number five, the woman bore a son and called his name Shimshon. The lad grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to come to him at times in the camp of Dan. This boy was named Shimshon. And they followed. She followed for the nine months of pregnancy, and subsequently after his birth, they made sure to share with him this news, this special instruction for his life to stay away from wine, from grapes, and never to cut his hair. And he was blessed. God blessed him with extraordinary strength, which was dependent on his behavior as instructed by the angel to refrain from wine and to refrain from putting a razor on his head from cutting his hair. So Samson had long hair, apparently. Never cut his hair. Why should he not cut his hair? Why should he not drink wine? We'll get to wine a bit later. About the hair, one of the commentaries explains it this way, that growing hair, not cutting hair, is a sign of mourning. Somebody lost an immediate relative, parent, uh, at least for 30 days, they don't cut their hair. Especially the men, at least the men. Even throughout the year of mourning, one only would take a haircut when necessary, extremely necessary. Growing long hair is an act of mourning, as is evident from many stories in the Torah. 
as well. So Samson is being instructed to let his hair grow to be a constant reminder of the pain and anguish, the suffering of the Jewish people at the hands of the Philistines. That his mission, his life's mission, is to help the Jewish people. Is to restore some level of peace. Making the Philistine occupation of Israel somewhat bearable to the Jewish people. By constantly having long hair, by never cutting his hair, as an act of mourning, remembering the sadness and the pain of the Jewish people, as well as refraining from wine. Wine was something that the Philistines really drank a lot and they enjoyed to party and pillage. And by refraining from drinking wine, that would remind him his distinctiveness being different from the Philistines and how he must fulfill his life's mission, protecting the Jewish people from the Philistines. Amy, the Paeus is uh, a separate mitzvah. It's connected. We had once a lesson about the beard, and Paeus is similar. It's a great topic for another class. That is in the Torah to leave the side burn. This is called Paeus. But Samson was what, what unique. It was not something that applied to the rest of the Jewish people. And it's not something that we aspire to, to let our hair grow just wild, all, all of our hair, not just the sideburns. Um, and not drink wine, that it was something very unique for a Nazarite, and Samson was a very unique kind, that for his entire life, he was to be this Nazir. Let's move on to source number six. Why was he named Shimshon? So Shimshon comes to the word Shemesh, which, could also, which has a meaning of being a, a protector, a shield, as he was destined to be a shield for the Jewish people against the Philistines as we will see as the story unfolds. Also, the word Shimshon comes from the word Shamash. In shuls, you'll have a Shamash, especially in olden days, like a warden, someone who would look after the building, look after the sanctuary, um, take, take care, a caretaker. Shamash means a, in the terms of Mishnah, and the Talmud Shamash is a waiter, somebody who tends to the guests. Uh, somebody who serves. And Shimshon was to be somebody, as we see source 6, he was dedicated to be a servant of God, hence the name Shimshon, a servant of God. He was not just some wild, mighty man, you know, killing lions and Philistines. He was a man dedicated to be a servant of God. His whole birth came about In a very miraculous, godly way. He was handsome and radiant like the sun. The word Shemesh also means the sun in the sky, the bright, beautiful sun. Shimshon was handsome and radiant like the sun. The divine presence jangled before him, inspiring him like a bell. Tsara and Eshtaol were two large mountains, and Shimshon uprooted them and ground them one against the other. So even in his youth, the Talmud tells us he was displaying a extraordinary, remarkable physical strength and realizing the strength that would come upon him, the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him, he realized this is a gift from God to live up to his mission, as evident in the name Shimshon, to protect, to be a shield 
for the Jewish people against the Philistines. And this name, Shimshon, I believe uh, he was probably the first one to be named that, and it is now a common, not extremely common, but a common Jewish name. There was a great rabbi in Germany in the, I believe, late 1800s, early 1900s, of Shamshon. Shamshon is a same name as Shimshon. Shimshon, Shamshon, um, Shamshon Rafal Hirsch. There was uh, many nice, famous Jewish people with the name Shimshon, Shamshon. And many streets in Israel today are named, different cities are named after him. Shimshon, Shimshon Hagibor, Shimshon the Mighty One. And final source for this section, source 7, another example that the book of Judges tells us. At one point, Samson was sleeping in a home in the city of Gaza, or in Hebrew, Aza, and the people of the city weren't very uh, happy with him being in their city, and they planned to attack him. The city had a wall around it with a gate, which was locked during the night, and they waited at the entrance to ambush him and to to uh, pounce upon him and somehow, I guess, lock him up. Shimshon had other plans. Source 7, Shimshon arose at midnight and laid hold of the doors and the gate of the city and of the two posts and he plucked them up together with the bolt and put them upon his shoulders marching out of the city walls carrying the gates themselves and the posts with the lock and placing them on a mountain way up high some miles away so this was just another demonstration of his immense and intense might that God gifted to him That concludes our first section, the background to his birth, to his youth. And before we get to the third and fourth section, which is the actual stories that the book of Judges tells us about Samson, uh, in section two, we'll just clarify that the Jewish view on Samson, on Shimshon, is that he was a pious, holy man. He was a judge. And we'll see this in the next couple of sources that although perhaps he veered from the path in a certain way, as we will see, but he was a tzaddik, a holy man, dedicated to God. Living up to his life's mission of being a shield to the Jewish people during this time. This goes way back to hundreds of years before that great-great-grandfather of Samson was Dun. And Dun is one of the 12 tribes, one of the 12 sons of Yaakov, of Jacob, who was the grandson of Avraham, Abraham, the first Jew. And Yaakov is on his deathbed before his passing. And he's giving a blessing to each of his sons, which are surrounded, huddled around his bed. And what does he say to Dun? To many of them, he talks about the future, he describes their territory in the land of Israel, what it's going to look like, different blessings. Um, to Judah, he talks about King David and the Mashiach, which will come from this tribe. And what does he say to Dun? Source number eight. I just want to clarify before we get to that, that when we talk about the Philistines, we're not referring to the Palestinians 
of today. The Philistines were an ancient nation who lived in Israel during biblical times in the first hundreds years, excuse me, after the conquest of the land of Israel. Um, hundreds of years later, when the Romans were on the world scene and they conquered the land of Israel, they ruled the land of Israel, they destroyed the second temple, and some years later, in about the year 135 of the Common Era, they um, there was the Bar Kokhba rebellion, the Jewish rebellion, and they crushed that rebellion, and there was a period following that known as the Hadrian Decrees, a very difficult time for the Jewish people when the Romans recognized that the Jewish spirit is very much dependent on religious observance and they strive to wipe out any uh, religious observance, Torah, study, and so on. And it was a very difficult time. And they destroyed Jerusalem. And at that time, in order to obliterate any uh, link of the Jewish people to the land of Israel and sort of to sting the remaining Jewish people, they renamed the country, the strip of land, instead of Israel, they renamed it Palestina, Palestina, after the ancient Philistines, which, which at one point settled the land of Israel. But the Palestinians today, which are maybe perhaps called Palestinians because the land was at that time called Palestina, named after the original Philistines, but not that the people living there were descendants of them. Philistines, the original Philistines were long gone. So I just wanted to point that out. Getting back to source number Eight. So Jacob, Yaakov, has his sons around him. What does he say about Dun? Source number eight. Dun will avenge his people like one, the tribes of Israel. Dun will be a serpent on the road, a viper on the path. Concerning Shimshon, he uttered this prophecy. This prophecy, this uh, blessing and prophecy Jacob is telling his son Dun about the future was concerning one man. It was a huge tribe, Dun. I believe in the desert, when they had a census, they had 70,000 or something, a really large number of, one of the largest tribes. But one man is described and spoken about by Jacob in his prophecy, Don will avenge his people. This is a reference to Shimshon, that hundreds of years later, Shimshon, from the tribe of Don, will avenge his people like one Source number nine, Shimshon judged Israel. So, or, or the source is teaching us that this is not just some random, brutally mighty guy. This was part of God's plan. Jacob had this prophecy about him years before that he will avenge for his people. He will s subdue the Philistines to some degree and make life easier for his brethren living in Israel. And indeed, Samson was not just a warrior, he was a judge. Source 9, Shimshon judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. He, must, he was a pious man, he was a judge. He judged Israel as their father in heaven does, with complete justice. Just as God who is one. The Talmud 
um, interprets the words of Jacob that Don will avenge his people like one. One is referring to the one God. And just as God judges his people justly, he does so with complete justice. So did Samson. Shimshon was a judge like God. He judged the people like one, like the one and only our creator of heaven and earth. So he was a holy guy. He was a holy tzaddik. And getting back to the words of Jacob, he compares him to a serpent, to a viper. Why a snake of all animals? Interesting that when Moses, when Moshe blesses uh, the tribe of Don, he compares him to a lion. And out of all the tribes, only Judah and Dan are compared to a lion. And it's fascinating that Shimshon's parents were from exactly these two tribes. His father, Monoch, was from the tribe of Dan, who was compared to a lion. And his mother, Talophonis, was from the tribe of Yehuda, whose territories, I believe, were near each other. And lion and lion together brought out Samson. So he was quite the mighty man. But why a snake? Why did Jacob compare him to a snake? Tells us the Midrash two ideas. Number one, source 10, all other animals travel in groups. The snake, snake travels alone. It's a solitary creature. Many other animals, they travel in packs, in pairs, in groups. But snakes somehow survive on their own. They're just sneaking around like a snake hunting for food. A snake travels alone. And Shimshon would take personal vengeance upon the Philistines and would not act in Israelite areas, but in Philistine areas, so that they would not have a claim against Israel as it would be associated with Shimshon alone. Shimshon's form, method of dealing with the Philistines was very unique. Unlike other judges who led the Jewish people in battle, it was Jewish people against enemy here. At this point in the history, the Philistines were occupying the land and it wasn't the Jews that were going to uh, bring up an army against the Philistines. Rather, it was Shimshon acting alone, like a snake that is on its own, will sneak up and bite. A snake in general is uh, usually on its own. Shimshon is like a snake. Says Jacob that this is the way Shimshon is going to deal with the Philistines. And he was doing it not on behalf of the Jewish people as a representative, but more like by infiltrating into the Philistines, as we'll see in the details of the story, how he marries in and he settles there and he lives amongst them and he finds excuses to engage them and to have first personal reason to avenge, to strike back at them. So it's not seen as um, rebellion, sort of, of the Jewish people, but as a personal act, a personal vengeance of Shimshon alone. On the other hand, the Philistines would be afraid to start up with the Jews because they know that Samson would protect them and defend the Jews. But Samson striking 
was like a snake that was acting on its own. He had a very unique uh, kind of mission. Another idea why it's compared to a snake, source 11, just as a snake is found amongst females, so too Shimshon was found amongst women. As we'll see in the story, um, Shimshon is uh, f- found amongst the women and uses this as a pretense to to make some uh, story to engage the Philistines in uh, acts of plunder, acts of uh, killings, teaching them a lesson, what it feels like to be terrorized. A snake, uh, there's this, uh, I think it's in the spring, when the male snakes are trying to um, mate with the female snakes. They'll have this like mating ball. You'll have one or two or a couple of female snakes and a whole bunch of male snakes trying to, uh, I guess, gra- get her attention. And it's really amazing. I actually looked this up to understand this midrash that you'll have this like whole pile of, of swarms of a whole swarm of uh, wrestling snakes, sort of, and somewhere in there, there's a female, and all the males are trying to, you know, be the lucky one uh, to mate with the female. So just like the snakes, you'll have a bunch of them on one female, so too, Samson, in this way, was created with a very strong attraction, I guess abnormal uh, attraction to women, in order to antagonize the Philistines as he did, and a very, uh, I guess, intense anger if uh, someone, if the Philistines messed with him. This was all part of the built-in kind of um, tools in order for Samson's mission to be successful at subduing the Philistines and protecting the Jewish people, continuing in Source 11, in order to prevent him from drinking wine... Which brings to licentiousness, God admonished him to become a Nazarite. Now look how he went after his eyes even being a Nazarite. Imagine what would happen had he drunk wine. He wouldn't have remained with any redeeming quality. So the Midrash says because, precisely because Samson's mission was to infiltrate the Philistines and marry their women and to live amongst them, so drinking wine would, would make things uh, go, go too far because drinking wine can lead to licentiousness being, uh, you know, moral standards being lowered and, and um, that wouldn't be fitting, befitting for Samson. So God says, uh, this is your mission, but don't drink wine. That will get things out of hand. So that's one of the ways the Midrash says why, what's one of the reasons why he should refrain from drinking wine. Finally, in source number 12, another source to show us how Samson was not just some ordinary mighty man, he was a godly, gifted man with a specific mission, is the idea of whose incarnation he was. We had once a lesson about Gilgulim, reincarnations. And the Kabbalah tells us, Arizal of Isaac Luria from the city of Tzifad in Israel, lived about 500 years ago. And he talks a lot about reincarnations. There's a whole chapter referring to reincarnation. Who, is, who was a reincarnation of who? 
And regarding Shimshon, source number 12, it, he is a reincarnation of a man named Nadav. Now, Nadav was one of the sons of Aaron, who died young, unmarried, because he entered the tabernacle in the desert, the holy Mishkan of the desert, uh, without permission. And he was intoxicated. He had drunk wine before entering, which was not appropriate. So source number 12. Nadav died because he didn't want to marry. Therefore, Shimshon was punished by having to procreate with the Philistine women. The sons of Aaron entered into the tabernacle while intoxicated. Shimshon was therefore a Nazarite from birth to rectify their sin. So somehow you see that him having to deal with Philistine women was as a result of his previous incarnation, Nadav not wanting to marry women because he claimed that no one was good enough for him. And the fact that he had to refrain from wine is because his previous incarnation, Nadav, uh, misused or abused the drinking of wine and therefore Shimshon had to refrain from wine. So you see here that Shimshon was a godly man. Now let's move on to the actual story that the book tells us about Shimshon. Samson the Mighty, known as the Tormented Redeemer. Well, it's a long story, so we'll just touch upon the main points of the story. The narrative, as it appears in the book of Judges. You can all further study the details in the book of Judges. It's chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. And, of course, there are many commentaries, Midrash and the Talmud, that give extra insight into the story. But here goes. Shimshon, the young, mighty man, notices a woman in the city of Timna, a Philistine woman. And source number 13, take her for me, he says to his parents, because she is pleasing in my eyes. I want to marry her. She is pleasing in my eyes. His parents did not know that it was from the Lord, that he had this attraction to marry a Philistine woman that he sought a pretense against the Philistines. This is clear words in the book of Judges. Says Rashi, the commentator, to antagonize them. He's looking for an occasion to engage the enemy. A personal reason to be hostile towards them, to teach him a lesson, to stop terrorizing his Jewish brethren in the land of Israel. Now his parents, at first, they knew this is the holy child. They personally were in instructed and informed by the angel how to deal with this child. And here he's going off to marry a Philistine woman. They try to dissuade him. Is there not a woman from amongst your people, from amongst your tribe? But he was very adamant, feeling this is his destiny to marry amongst and live amongst the Philistines, all as a pretense. On the way, finally he convinces his parents um, and they're on the way to Timna. And on the way, they pass by a vineyard. Now, a Nazarite is not allowed to eat grapes or drink wine and has to stay far away. There is a halacha that one should not bring themselves to a temptation. So if one is forbidden um, 
to eat non-kosher food, they shouldn't really be a waiter or work in the kitchen of a non-kosher restaurant because that's very tempting. You might just take a little taste and that is a problem. So one shouldn't put themselves in a tempting situation. Similarly, a Nazarite who is forbidden to eat grapes should not walk through or close to a vineyard. So on the way, Shimshon is with his parents, but they go through the vineyard and he has to take a roundabout way around the vineyard because he is a Nazarite. Interesting. Some say that his parents specifically took him through this route, try to teach him a lesson that, hey, you know, you're marrying a Philistine woman, but you got to be careful. Just like you got to be careful to stay away from a vineyard, you got to stay away from bad people. You might learn from them. Disturb idols. Either way, Samson takes the roundabout way, and while he's on his own, he encounters Source 14. Hello, Yasha. Source 14. Behold, a young lion roared towards him, and there rested on him a spirit of the Lord, and he rent it as one would rent a kid. Goats. Although he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father and mother. It came to him from God, and he could feel it it, filling his body, and then it would subside. Every time the book tells us of the great feats of Samson, it says it rested upon him the Spirit of the Lord, meaning that he, he wasn't at all times mighty. He didn't have the super natural strength at all times. It was when the Spirit of God would rest upon him. In fact, the Talmud says that he was limp. He, he, he would limp. He, he would, uh, both of his feet were crippled. He, he didn't walk properly. He would sort of shuffle around. And suddenly, when the Spirit of God would rest upon him, he was filled with strength and he would feel it pulsating in his body. And then he would go and perform these uh, amazing feats. And here the lion is running towards him with the spirit of the Lord upon him. He rips the lion apart very easily while he's alone near the, around the vineyard and uh, kills the lion and leaves the carcass there. And he meets up later with his parents and he doesn't say anything. That tells us a little bit about Samson. He was a very humble man. He had no reason to share this information um, with them. He felt he was gifted by God for a specific reason, and, and he took it as a sign that uh, on his way to f- marry this Philistine and find reason to engage them, God gave his, put a spirit upon him with this incident with, incident with the lion um, sending him a message that he is with him on his mission. So they go to Timna and his father speaks to the girl and they set a date for the wedding and sometime later after preparations are underway they are on their way back to Timna. Now at this point the vineyard on the way is not loaded with grapes so it's not the time it's not the season anymore so it would be permitted for him to pass through the vineyard because there are no grapes uh, ready growing on the in the vineyard. And yet, he still 
veers from the path to go the roundabout way. Why? Because he wants to thank God for that great miracle. When a miracle happens to us, we don't just say thank you and move on. We, at that time of the year, for example, the miracle of Hanukkah took place on the 25th day of the month of Kislev. So every year we want to remember that miracle. And the same to other miracles. And same applies to places. If we come to a place, God forbid, if someone was in an accident and they miraculously survived, every time they come to that place, they should thank God for the miracle that took place in that area. And similarly, Samson, even though this time he could walk through the vineyard, he once again went the roundabout way to praise God for the miracle that occurred last time he was here. And what does he see, source 15? A swarm of bees in the body of the lion with honey. There's a beehive with honeybees. Plenty of honey in the belly of the lion. He separated it, removes the, the combs, he gets some honey into his hands and he eats. He eats, eats from the honey. He wanted to be reminded that God was guiding him before he proceeded into the enemy. Another reason why he went there, he wanted to remember this miracle, to thank God and be reminded that God is with him on his mission, his life's mission, to infiltrate the Philistines. Exactly what he was doing by marrying a Philistine woman. Okay, he gets there, he gets the Timna, um, the wedding is arranged, and there are seven days of preparation, of feasting for the wedding, and then seven days post the wedding of celebration, which is one of the sources for the seven celebratory days after a Jewish wedding called the Sheva Brachos. And the custom was then that uh, the bride, groom and bride didn't just celebrate themselves and their family, but they had 30 friends. Friends that were celebrating together. So he came alone. He was a Jewish man. He's coming to to uh, Timna. So they had 30 Philistine friends that were partying with him and this woman for the days of celebration. During the celebration, Samson presents a wager. He says, I'm going to pre present a riddle known as Samson's riddle. What's his riddle that he puts forth? But he says, hey, if at the end of the seven days of celebration you will come up with the solution, with the answer to the riddle, then I will be obligated to gift you with 30 suits and gar linen garments. But if at the seven days conclusion you have not come up with the solution, you have to provide me with 30 suits and linen garments, I guess, nice, good quality. Well, what was the riddle? It was a tough riddle. One that only Samson himself has experienced. Source number 16. From the eater came out food, and out of the strong came out sweetness. That was, of course, a reference to the honey coming from the belly of the lion. The lion is the eater, usually eating others, pouncing uh, upon other animals and eating. And from the eater came out food, and from the strong came out sweetness, the honey. Now the Philistine said to Shimshon's wife, persuade your husband so that he will tell us the riddle, lest we burn you 
and your father's house with fire. Have you called us here to impoverish us? <laughs> we're here celebrating at your wedding, and if we're going to lose the wager, we're going to become impoverished having to supply him with 30 sets of linen. This riddle is way too difficult. Well, she was very pressured by the friends, by the Philistines. She pressured Shimshon, saying, you don't love me, pressuring him, making his life very difficult in the first days of his marriage. And eventually on the seventh day, he capitulates and tells her the solution to the riddle. And she passes on the answer to the friends. And on the seventh day, right before sundown, they say to him, what is stronger than a lion? What is sweeter than honey? And Samson is incensed. He says, if you haven't plowed with my, with my um, heifer, you wouldn't know the solution. They're saying, you guys played around with my wife. Nobody else knew this. Even my parents didn't know. And uh, what does he do? He goes to Ashkelon, a Philistine city. He uh, strikes 30 Philistines, takes their garments, and delivers them to the friends. But he is mad. What does he do? Source number 17. A while later, he realizes his wife uh, you know, betrayed him. So he goes home, he's a little upset. And meanwhile, during that time while he's away, his wife is given to uh, somebody else, even though technically they were still married. And when he comes back and he realizes what happened, his wife, he wants to come appease his wife, he finds another excuse. He says, this time, you take my wife, and nobody uh, protests this, a married woman is given to somebody else. He takes 300 foxes, source number 17, he caught 300 foxes and put a torch between every two tails. Foxes, those are smart animals. He catches them, and it's a time of the harvest. The crops are fill, full in, in the fields of the Philistines. And he takes these two foxes, and he ties their tails together, putting a torch. He kindled fire on the torches and set these 150 pairs of foxes with lit torches and lets them loose, set them loose in the excuse me, standing grain. And that sets, excuse me, the fields, the crops ablaze. Um, you can imagine the, fo the, <laughs> the foxes, the Philistines were not very happy. They questioned who did this. They said it was Samson. He's upset that his wife was given to somebody else. So what did the Philistines do? They go to his wife and his, her father's home and they burn them alive. They burn down the whole house. This was the Philistines. Um... And when Samson heard that, he was even more upset. You go and you, uh, you uh, now all of a sudden you're protesting. Now you're doing something. And he strikes many of them, uh, killing many Philistines. And this time the Philistines are okay. We're going up to the Jews. It's continuing in source 17. The Philistines then went up and encamped in Judah. And they told the Jewish people, either you hand over this man Samson or we're waging battle against all of you. 
Well, Samson at that time was hiding in a cave. The Jewish people uh, were afraid. They came to Samson saying, you know, what do you do to us? Why do you mess us up? Uh, you're getting them all, the Philistines upset at us. Samson says, I'll handle this. You tie me up in chains, hand me over to the Philistines, and I'll do the rest on their territory. Um, that's what the Jews do. And miraculously, when he approaches the Philistines in copper chains, the Philistines are all excited. They have their tormentor in chains as they're cheering him on and mocking him. Suddenly, the Lord, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Continuing in source 17, his bonds melted off his hands and he found the moist jawbone of a donkey and killed with it 1,000 men. And after this spectacular victory, whew, the Philistines were tamed. They said, okay, no, we're not starting up with this guy. Jewish people at that point realized he is a holy man and he was appointed judge over the Jewish people. And for the next 20 years, things seemed to be quite calm. Mission accomplished. He initiated this marriage with this Philistine woman, which never really materialized, but it was all a pretense to antagonize and find a personal reason to be hostile towards them, teaching them a lesson what it means to be terrorized, stopping the harassment of the Philistines to the Jewish people for quite some years. Just to end up that story, so after killing 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey... Source 18, he became very thirsty and called to the Lord, You have given through the land the hand of your servant this great deliverance. And now shall I die of thirst? He was extremely thirsty. So you see here, he attributes his victory, his spectacular victory, one man against the 1,000 mighty, you know, strong Philistines to God, the deliverance to God. One should not think that Shimshon, who saved the Jewish people, married Gentile women who did not convert. This was a holy man. And the Torah says quite clearly that Jewish men should marry Jewish girls, and Jewish girls should marry Jewish men. So Shimshon, being the judge of the Jewish people, a holy man gifted by God, who attributes everything to God, is marrying the Philistine. Of course, it was a Philistine woman, but he converted her. This was uh, on the, this is very clear, <clears throat> excuse me, from Maimonides, who says very clear, one should not think, and he compares it to Shlomo, later King Solomon, as we learned, converted the wives that he married, whether it was uh, Nama, the Ammonite, whether it was other foreign women, of course they accepted God and the Jewish way of life, although perhaps maybe later in life they went back on it, and then at that point their conversion was brought into question. But before marrying her, he definitely converted her. Otherwise, in the words of the Radak, Rab David Kimchi, one of the great commentators on the Torah, on the Prophets, says it's too shocking to say that such a holy man, the judge of the Jewish people, would clearly violate the Torah's commandment not to marry out before converting them. And we don't find that he was punished for this. <laughs> and and uh, it says clearly that it was a, it was from the Lord. Or his parents didn't know that the fact that he wanted to marry this Philistine woman was from the Lord. But of course, he did it in a way that the Torah would allow it 
by first converting her, although later the conversion may have come into question if the conversion was uh, genuine and authentic. That's the words of Maimonides. And another quote from the Abarbanel, which brings another interesting uh, twist. And he says that although perhaps it's not, it wasn't generally acceptable to marry a Philistine woman, especially if the conversion would be questionable later, but at times exceptions were made for a national benefit on the direct, direct, explicit directive of God uh, by a holy man. For example, once the city of Jerusalem was chosen, one was not allowed to bring a sacrifice anywhere else in Israel, only in Jerusalem. But we do know that Elijah the prophet built an altar on Mount Carmel. And that is because it was in order to stop idolatry. It was to be a, you know, like a showdown between the servants of the, the worshippers of the Baal idol. So it was done as a one-time kind of thing. Not saying, okay, now this doesn't apply. Now this is permitted. It was a one-time kind of exception. And similarly, the Barbanel brings that as a reason. Source 19, God enabled Shimshon to marry into the Philistines because even though those activities were in themselves mixed up, you know, it wasn't so clear permitted vengeance against the Philistines would emerge from them and therefore for him at that time it was permitted although he did convert them this brings us to the final story of of uh, Samson perhaps the most famous story of Samson oh it's uh, let's wrap this up as it's uh, getting late the story of Samson and Delilah I'm really not sure why Delilah or Delilah uh, is somewhat of a popular woman's girl's name. I found that it's number 58 in 2021. It was the 58th most popular common given um, girl's name. And it's the most popular girl's name with the, starting with the D, Delilah. But in the Torah, in the Bible, or uh, the story, uh, he doesn't come out as such a kind honest, nice woman. I'm sure the Delilahs out there are nothing like the original Delilah. But here goes. Here's the story of Samson's final wife. Source number 20. Delilah was a woman who lived in Nachal Sorek. Nachal Sorek. That was the name of the place. And uh, Samson saw her he and he loved her and he lived amongst the Philistines this must have been uh, you know 20 years after judging the Jewish people at that point maybe things uh, started to start up again on the Philistine side and Samson needed to antagonize them once again so he marries Delilah in Hebrew Delilah Source number 20, the lords of the Philistines said to Delilah, persuade him and see wherein his strength is so great. What makes that husband of yours, the mighty Samson, so great? They figure they can't just start up with him. They got to figure out the secret to his might, discover what is his secret. And with what we can prevail against him, and each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So they bribed her. 
and money was apparently very important to her. Each of the lords of the Philistines promised to give her 1,100 silver pieces of silver if she would just extract from him, extort from him, the secret to his might. And she began to torment him relentlessly, saying, You love me? Tell me what makes you strong. And he gave her different excuses. First he said, If you tie me up with moist ropes, then my strength will leave me. And she did so. He tied him up while he was sleeping. And then she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he would wake up and break free from the ropes. And she said, hey, you mocked me. Tell me really what is it? And he said, oh, it's not just moist ropes. They have to be new, brand new ropes. And again, she brought the Philistines and said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up and broke free of the brand new ropes. And again, she mocked him. Fine. And then he said, if you take the seven braids of his hair, my hair, and put a weaving rod through them, then my strength will leave me if it's not free. And she did so, and again, he broke free. And the Philistines already gave up on her, but she really wanted that money. And she pressured him. Source number 21. Three times you have mocked me and you have not told me wherein is your strength so great and you say that you love me, Dalila says to Shimshon. She nagged him with her words every day and pressed him that his soul was vexed to death. Says the Talmud, she detached herself from him during relations, urging him to reveal the secret. She really made it hard for him, tormented him. And eventually... He gives in and he tells her his secret. Source 22. I am a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I will be shaven, then my strength will leave me. She put him to sleep and shaved off the seven locks of his head and his strength left him. She knew that the righteous individual, that that righteous individual would not express the name of heaven in vain. This time she realized this is the truth. Because he said, I am a Nazarite to God, saying God's name. He says, hey, this is a holy man. Even while married to Dalila, she recognized this is a tzaddik, says the Talmud. That tzaddik wouldn't utter God's name in vain. It must be not another excuse. This is the truth. He is a Nazarite to God, and therefore he has long hair. And if his hair is cut, his strength will leave him. He didn't suspect her that she's going to do this to him, of course. But she put him to sleep. While he was asleep, she had his hair cut off. The Philistines came. And this time, he did not have the strength to break free from them. And he was taken in chains to the Philistine prison. And the Spirit of God departed from him. This was the first time in his life that a razor was upon his head. Disobeying the command of that angel to his mother not to cut his hair. 
Source 23, the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They blinded him. Says the Talmud, why? Shimshon rebelled with his eyes. Therefore the Philistines gouged out his eyes. Although God did plan the punishment of the Philistines, when he went, he followed his inclination and did not act for the sake of heaven. So although Shimshon was a holy man, and the fact that he married into the Philistines was part of God's plan, as we discussed, but nonetheless, the Talmud says, he rebelled with his eyes. He had a very strong desire for them, and when he married them, it was not purely for the sake of heaven. It was also some personal pleasure involved as well. And therefore, it's considered that he rebelled with his eyes, seeing and looking and desiring the beautiful Philistine women, and therefore his eyes were gouged out measure for measure. And he's held in the prison, and sometime later the Philistines gather at a great hall, a temple for their god Dagon, which was the idol that they worshipped, and they were going to bring the Samson who they finally overcame, they were victorious over him, and they managed to subdue him, and they had him there praising, and they were praising their idol, their false gods, and having, uh, having him uh, dance before them and make merry, very humiliating and disgraceful for Samson, the holy devoted Jew to God, hearing all of this idol worship going on and his anger was aroused and he's standing there he's blinded he has this lad that is guiding him where to walk and he asks the lad to lead him to the pillars of the building there's this huge building the book says there were thousands of people just on the roof top that was open you know watching the the party and he says i'm tired let me lean on the beams on the pillars and at this point, Samson offers up a prayer to God. Very famous words today. Source 24. O Lord God, remember me and strengthen me now. Only this once, O God. He says, God, give me one more chance. Make me strong again. Actually, his hair began to grow back in the prison. Remember on my behalf the 20 years that I judged the Jewish people without receiving any reward. And I did not even say to one of them, move a stick for me from one place to another place. He did so, he says, he judged the Jewish people honestly without asking for any payment, without no bribes, nothing. He didn't ask anyone to do anything for him. He says, remember that I did so for 20 years serving your people. And did not ask for any reward. Remember me just this one time. As he's standing there with his hands on the beams, he says, 325, Let my soul die with the Philistines. He says, just give me strength. And he's blinded. He's humiliated. He realizes that he, is, he had let his hair get cut. He says to God, give me one more chance. Give me one more opportunity. That in his death, he should be able to fulfill his life's mission of subduing the Philistines. 
Here you had all of the lords of the Philistines, the big shots, the officers, the ministers, all gathered together in this temple, celebrating their great victory over him. He says, God, give me one more chance. And let my soul die with the Philistines. He's standing here in this building. And he leaned with all his might. And the house fell upon the Lord. And upon all the people that were therein. The dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his lifetime. It was not an act of suicide, but an act of giving his life over to God. That in his death he was ready to die just to stop the idol worship of the Philistines at that moment, to teach them one last lesson. And thousands died and were buried under the, under the, the stones. And that is this, uh, I guess, monument here. Samson in chains, I guess, leaning on the beams, which collapsed on all of the Philistines. And the book says that for 20 years later, even after his death, the Philistines were intimidated from this great man, Samson. That even in his death, left a great impact on the Philistines. In Hebrew, Tamos nafshi in Pelishtim, let my soul die with the Philistines. And this was like a Jewish cry. Many times Jewish people were ready to give their lives up for God although it meant that their own lives would be taken, but in their death, they were ready to die for the preservation of the Torah, of godliness. And that was Samson. He died sanctifying God's name, protecting his Jewish brethren. And for years later, 20 years, he was remembered. And the Jewish people were, peace, were in peace from the Philistines, even years after his death. Samson was uh, found, his family came and they brought him back to Israel where he's buried. And there are, I think, more than one grave, but uh, somewhere around the cities of Tzara and Eshtaol where he was buried near his father. Some go, on, go up to his grave to pray there. And this is a story of Samson, which teaches us a lesson that... Um, we're all destined for greatness if we just follow God's command. Shimshon followed God's command not to cut his hair, and God gifted him with strength to fulfill his life's mission. We're given the Torah, and that's our life's mission. And we listen to God's commandments. God will give us the strength to become great. And... fulfill our mission. Why, we... Were sent to this world. You now they say, who was the greatest comedian of the Bible? It was Samson, because he really brought the house down. He brought the house down, the strength of Hashem, giving up his own life for his brothers and sisters to live in peace. That wraps up today's lesson about Shimshon, Samson, I imagine those suitcases called Samsonite are really strong, like Samson. Now you know why barbershops are called Samson or Delilah. And 
many Jewish boys carried the name Shimshon. So thank you for listening to today's lesson about this extraordinary biblical figure named Shimshon. And I hope to see you next time for another fascinating lesson. If you enjoyed this lesson, feel free to comment or share this post with others. Otherwise, this lesson gets uploaded onto our podcast called Lunch and Learn, where all the lessons are uploaded as well. Zai gesund. Have a wonderful day.